as this is a an audio medium, Jack is laying down on a bench. He looks he looks tired. <laughs> he looks bloated. He's wiped off his chocolate-covered fingers with a wet wipe, which he's left on the table. In I, many ways, a prince amongst men. You deserve better than, than me as a co-host, Joe. I do, but you're cheap. The amount of effort you put into writing these and doing your research, mm. and I turn up after work, <laughs> sleepy, irritable, very little attention. Yeah. Got an odd array of items on the table today. You have a, a used tray, a used tray covered in chocolate and strawberry tops. I've got my new wallet. A brand new wallet, I've shiny got, new I've got wallet. a face mask that really needs a wash. Yeah. Um, baby wipes. A cup with my face on it. Awesome. Two empty beer cans. Ooh, one sort of em- your side of the table. Yeah. That's fine. Your, your side of the table's empty. Except for beer cans. It's just beer cans and me. I make a small fort and I hide behind it. No, we need to we need to get on because you are a busy man with a busy schedule and a dog that destroys things every second you're Should not I in the house. Show you the couch. Oh God! Hey up! I'm Joe Heathcote and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with. Anyway, this story begins in the Georgian era. Which is between 1848. No. What? No, you've, you've gone into the Victorian era there. Have I? Yeah, you're talking 17, 17th century, early 18th century. Georgian. Oh. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. It's, it's a learning show. We're here to learn. Yes. Your three words. Gastric. Okay, stomach pains. Children. Children with stomach pains. Husbands. Oh, that's a curve. That's a thinker now. Mm-hmm. Um, kids eat pennies. Pennies. They have been known to. Are made of metals. Finely crafted metals appearing. I thought you were going to half arse your way into it. Sort of backwards through a hedge get the right answer but you've you've I've happily off. deviated way far away when did i deviate i can't tell you that but you'll 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 realize that pennies the penny will drop uh no one knows what that means yet mary Ann, could you put in the penny will drop in the edit when pe- the penny will drop for everyone i'll i'll say the penny's about to drop during this okay okay that help mary ann robson was born on october the 31st or All Hallows Eve, if that's what you want to call it. Hallowed Eve. When does Halloween become like um, I, children I, getting I be- sweets? I think that's a 20th century thing invention. What did they do before that? It was just it was All Hallows Eve. It was a, it was a celebration, but it wasn't necessarily. It was All Souls Day, wasn't it? When did all the scariness come in? That's very late. Oh, is it? Mm. So what was it? Just like a, a festival? Uh, all Souls. It was yeah. It was. A, I can't. I'd have to ask Emma, but there was there was kind of a, a holiday there anyway. Right. Um, what do they signify? So it's October. What seasonal? It might be the autumn event. equinox. Oh, is it? it? Possibly. I mean, I'll do the research. Is I'll there get a back place to you. for people to like correct us? Uh, yeah, we've got an email address consistently eccentric at gmail dot com, but it it lies empty and barren. Does it? Yeah, except for people asking if I need my penis enlarged. Um, so anyway, she was born on October the 31st, All Hallows' Eve. Um, Have you replied to any of those emails? Thank you for your interest in my podcast. I can neither confirm nor deny. Um, 1832, in County Durham, in the northeast of England, for our American listener. Yeah. You know who you are. Um, she was the first child of Michael and Margaret Robson, childhood sweethearts who'd gotten married in their teens. Nice. Up to Gretna. Michael was a colliery sinker, and sinkers were responsible for digging the vertical shafts in coal mines. You know, the, the one that they get in the, the lift and it goes, dig, 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 dig. they dig that shaft. Oh, God, that's got to be that 
Is that one of the most dangerous? Well, no, no. If you're following a coal yeah. seam, that's pretty dangerous. Yeah, but it, oh, it's it, all dangerous, isn't it? The important thing was a sinker. It was considered skilled labour, and the family it didn't just get a nice wage, but they were also provided with a house as long as Michael was working for the company. Because once you'd sunk the main shaft, the sinker's job was kind of done. So they kind of go from mine to mine when they needed a new shaft sinking. Yeah. So in order to make that viable, they provide a, a cottage for, for the sinker's family to live in uh, while they were doing the work at that coal mine, and then they'd move on. Um, so, nice you, wage. Are you house. having problems sinking your shaft? Penis enlargement. <laughs> I thought you were going to go, uh, Robson's sinkers. <laughs> we go deep, and you will be satisfied. <laughs> or half your money back. Yeah. Only half. I don't know. Or your money back. We'll just take the tip. Um, <laughs> tip is a funny word. It is, especially when you're meeting a penis. Um, so, uh, Michael... I sort, of, I sort of led you out there and then retreated. Mm. I kind of got the boat ready, pushed you out to sea, and then I just, I just You waved. ran away. I just waved from the shore. As you realise you didn't have any paddles. <laughs> Floundered <laughs> desperately. Oh, God. So basically, Michael, he was getting a good wage for the family, but also he wasn't having to pay rent because this was being provided by each company. You say cottage. I I don't imagine these houses were... I think two rooms. Right. Yeah, they they had two rooms and there was an outdoor toilet. one up, one down? Uh, No, I think these were bungalows. There was like, there was the the living room where everyone also slept and a kitchen room. Where you're set. Oh, no, and then the outside toilet. Yeah, and then the outhouse. Um, yeah, so, but considering it was free, you can't complain when it's free, can you? Uh, so it's it like... it is free. <laughs> but what it meant was, as long as Michael had a job, Marianne, she had a relatively comfortable uh, and happy time. And in her early childhood, her dad was working in the same place for the first eight years of her life. So she was settled, you know, they had a place to call home, they had financial security, there was always a full, you know... Um, Full meals. She had French. She had the accent of the French. Yeah, she had the around. accent of the French. She was she was living around. She wasn't that weird kid who'd come from foreign parts. Um, so it was going great. Uh, I mean, she did have uh, one of her younger sisters die in infancy, but you know the death rate was it wasn't zero percent for infants back then. So is it you know, now? No, it's not. But it's closer, isn't it? Um, the only real issue that Maryam faced as a child was apparently she was cripplingly shy, really shy young girl, and she found it difficult to make friends. You just want to hit those kids, don't you? What, the shy ones? Yeah, just, come on, you can do it. <laughs> I'm I don't, helping I don't, you. Yeah, I don't think hitting would help. Um, like I said, sinkers like Michael, they'd often move from job to job. And eventually, the original job he'd been doing when Maryam was born... They'd sunk as many shafts as they could. Yeah. He was, you know, he was out of a energy. job. Yeah, he yeah. was out of energy. He'd done all the sinking that he could do in that area. He needed to go to pastures new. I, it, he's not. He's doing it with a team. He's not just... Oh, no, no, no. See, like, he picks his shovel up by the door. Oh, no, he's not he's gonna sink digging it individually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know I said he was there for eight years, but I'm guessing multiple shafts That's were sunk where he in that was, time, yeah. yeah. It wasn't just him. We're doing one hole for eight years. Imagine that, he just draws an X in chalk on the floor and just gets one small shovel and it's like, go, okay. <laughs> and they're just walking past him every day to the actual, the pit and just like, morning, Michael, morning. How is this a job? <laughs> but he had muscles like, God damn, he looked like Dave Batista. He was huge. If I could just enlist a team. <laughs> or sinkers don't do that. <laughs> We're lone wolves. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, they moved to the village of Merton um, when Marianne was eight so that Michael could sink a new, very deep hole for a new colliery. Marianne had to change Sunday school, which would have been particularly difficult for her being that she was cripplingly shy, but she made the best of it and her Wesleyan teacher described her as clean and tidy in appearance, innocent and of average intelligence which is a backhanded compliment if ever I've heard one. Yeah. She is average. Well, your child is just there. That's just the shyness, isn't it? That's all that is. (laughs) 
Your child shouldn't really engage. It's like when you when you're just trying to find a positive at parent teacher conference. She's often prompt to class. Um, I've I've seen Evie's um, award on the fridge. <laughs> what? Just did the work. It's just hundred percent engagement. Is that what it yeah. says? You did the work. Yeah. Well, the thing is, um, we what we found out later was that sending in multiple photos of the work she was doing every day of and filling it's in online. long descriptions so that, no, that is, of what she was doing. That is doing. quite an achievement. Uh, they they were asking for like one photo to show that you tried a day and we were sending loads of things. Then we're like, and we also did this, this and this. And they were like, that's too too much. Yeah. Please stop sending us things. <laughs> you're, you're filling our hard drive with pictures of Evie's tat. Um, but no, 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 it was good. Um, so yeah, innocent of average intelligence. That's that's what you want to be. Um, but less than a year after the move, Mary Ann's quiet life was turned upside down. The sink in a hole directly in her living room. Well, it, it was to do with the hole that was being sunk because her <sighs> father fell down the hole that he'd been sinking, which, regrettably, because he was quite good at sinking, was already over 150 foot deep at the time. Cough. So he plunged 150 feet into blackness, knowing there was not a feather pillow at the bottom. Shit, see how that bruised his feet or something? How big? 150 foot drop. Oh, what are we talking, twisted ankle? Michael's body was delivered to the family in a sack, bearing the words, <laughs> property of South Hatton. Where did you read that? No, this, bearing the words, property of South Hatton Coal Company. Because uh, you've got to keep the branding going, even when you're delivering the corpse of a loved one to a family. Even worse, the coal company, Hetton Coal Company, they also owned the house that Mary Ann was living in. Did they ask for the sack back? Um, I don't know that they asked for the sack back, but they definitely asked Mary Ann's mother, Margaret, if she wouldn't mind... Finishing the hole. ...moving out of the house. Because obviously, oh. the house was provided for workers, and at that particular moment... No worker was living at that when house. Did they ask that? Was that like written on the note that was like pinned, <laughs> what attached to, to the, the sack? <laughs> I don't know, but it was pretty immediate. Oh, and they were like childhood sweethearts. And yeah. But she was told that her and her two living children were going to have to scoot off so they could move in a new sinker because the hole still needed digging. Yeah, I mean, the the impact of his drop had only increased the depth by a couple of inches at mm. most. So it hadn't really got to the, the level they needed it to be at to hit the coal seams. The sudden loss of income showed Mary Ann how quickly someone could end up in a workhouse, you know, at the very bottom rung of society, because they were set, they were getting a good wage in, they had somewhere to live, and then suddenly, one second, one slip, and boom. Yeah. You've got no money, you've got nowhere to live. The workhouse beckoned. Um, and it seems to have been a fear that stayed with her for the rest of her life as she started suffering from nightmares, which would continue to plague her as long as she lived. So she had a... From this... Horrific, Are we talking nightmares of falling into... Of going into the workhouse, of being um, absolutely destitute, of not having enough to eat, uh, of being dirty. She was desperately afraid of that. And this was a deep-seated childhood trauma that may influence the rest of her life. We'll see. Luckily, though, Marianne never set foot in a workhouse as her mother, Margaret, remarried within a year. <laughs> as her mother, Margaret, took her feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she took her first stump steps into the workhouse. Yeah. Well, it will mean that you couldn't go on the giant, um, w uh, the spinning wheel that they made people walk in. Not on your stumps. Was that in the workout? Yeah, yeah, they'd have um, a, a giant sort of human-powered wheel that would provide power to mill equipment in workhouses. Right? Yeah, yeah. Is that like the wooden thing inside of the funhouse? Yeah, a little bit like that, only instead of it being powered by an engine, it was powered by the people walking in it, yeah. Um, Lancaster Castle used to have one in the grounds, and it was used to um, power a cotton mill. That's so amazing. prisoners would be expected to to walk the wheel for it was hours and hours is it's that like where the second labor. name walker comes from I, I hope not that's horrific johnny walker all of his relatives were just walking destitute bloody workhouse workers who were just walked to death um but no her new husband uh george stott 
He was also happened to be a miner, uh, meaning he came with a house. That's cool. That's so lucky. the question of whether Margaret married for love it's or not whether... a sinker house, though, is it? He's just, no, this was just a single-room shack. His face house, yeah. yeah. This was dirt floor, yeah. single-room shack, but any port in a storm, stotty too hotty. Um, at 16, Mary spent a few years as a nursemaid to the kids of one of the colliery managers. But she had to move back home when the last of the kids headed to boarding school because it's difficult to be a nursemaid in a house with no children. No. That's that's kind of um, <laughs> redundant. Um, she was fine. She started training as a dressmaker. I thought, people need clothes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to end up in a workhouse if I've got a, a, a trade like that, a serviceable skill. Yeah, um, but she's going to end up in a factory that does... Well, potentially, or she, she, might do, conditions. she might do bespoke, you know, she might be uh, artisanal dresses. She's not. Well, it didn't matter because... <laughs> she hasn't her... got a loft and one of those mannequins that She She up. never finished training as a dressmaker anyway, because at 20, Marianne, she was considered a local beauty. I should have mentioned that. All right. She'd, she'd grown to 20 years old and she was considered a looker in the village of Merton in the northeast of England. And she accepted the marriage proposal of a man called William Mowbray who promised to whisk her away to the tropical paradise of Cornwall. Oh, no, it is nice. Well, it's tropical relative to northeast England, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's like a different world. They obviously enjoyed themselves in the Cornish climate because by the time the couple returned to the northeast five years later, Mary Anna had given birth to five children. Shit. Yeah. One a year for five. Hmm. However, they only returned with one little girl called Margaret Jane. The other four babies had all apparently died of gastric fever. Now, infant mortality rates were higher in the mid-1800s. See, now we've got to this point in the story, your energy's not matching the, the content. Oh, four, four children had died of gastric... Sorry. The other four babies... Had all died of... Had all apparently... stomach diseases. Heartbreakingly, dis- they died of gastric fever. That's worse, Joe. Now, infant mortality rates were higher in the mid-1800s. There we go, back up. <laughs> <laughs> but even so, at the worst, and this is in the inner cities, they were only around 16%. 60? 16. No. Um, 16% no, of all babies. Yeah, infant mortality was around 16%, but that was nowhere near the 80% Mary Ann and William had experienced. So they were an outlier statistically. Either they were exceptionally unlucky or... They'd been eating them. Something was amiss. I don't know if it was baby cannibalism, um, but something was amiss because there were no, there were no official um, death certificates for these kids as well. It was all a bit murky. They decided though, they moved back up to the northeast. Maybe it was the climate, you know, those, that subtropical climate. Maybe it was those Cornish mosquitoes that were causing the issues. Uh, and they, Mary Ann gave birth to child number six, Isabella, in eighteen fifty eight. Sadly, uh, they were back down to one living child again in eighteen sixty when Margaret Jane died at the age of four. So one got, they they had another infant and one who got through the infant mortality was now a childhood mortality statistic. Um, How could you? L- Mary Ann, though, don't worry, she was a baby producing machine. And the following year, they replaced Margaret Jane. And I mean that quite literally because Mary Ann gave birth to her newest daughter and she called that daughter Margaret Jane. So the same name as her dead sister. This decision is either a weird expression of grief or a sign that Mary Ann was at best, apathetic about her kids? I don't know. I'm, I'm, going, I'm leaning on the grief thing. I was just imagining burying four children. Oh, no, she's buried five now because she buried four in Cornwall and then Mary, uh, Margaret Jane, who'd made it to the northeast, died at the age of four. So she's only got Isabella, who was born in the northeast. But she's she's had a, a child born in harsher climes who's going to be hardy. Um Regardless of her feelings towards her children, uh, she dutifully gave birth to another child, a boy this time, called John Robert in 1863. Um, With three living kids in the house, presumably for the first time, in spite of 10 years of procreating each year on the dot, um, Mary Ann decided she needed to ensure that she wouldn't be left financially destitute should anything happen to her husband, William. Because she's seen what can happen if your husband suddenly... Drops dead. God, she's got so much yeah. trauma in her life already. Oh, yeah. So she's like 30. Um, yeah, she's 30 at this point. She's 30 and, and she's, she's got she's, five dead children. And she's and, the widower uh, of one. Yeah, and her dad died and was delivered to her house in a sack. Her dad? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But she convinced her husband, William, to take out an insurance policy with the Prudential uh, for both himself and for the lives of the three children. And it was a good job he did. Because wouldn't you know it, within a year, both he and his son had died of gastrointestinal disorders. So how is that looking? Mm? What's um, stomach specific? cramps, pain, I'm guessing uh, diarrhea, right. and then death. So just shitting yourself to death. Shitting yourself to death. Shrivel up. Yeah. But of course, we're in um, the mid-1800s, so being able to sort of discern beyond that, it was just written down by the doctor, oh, this was obviously a gastrointestinal disorder, killed him, fine. So that's four kids in Cornwall, her son and her husband all died of gastrointestinal issues that weren't investigated particularly. Is this like the story of this? Is this the saddest story? Well, Mary Ann, she made the best of it and she collected the £37 and five shillings from the two insurance policies one for her husband, one for her son. Um, in the 1860s, this would be enough to keep her and her two remaining daughters living comfortably for about half a year. Uh, so not long at all. Yeah, and her expenses were reduced significantly when Mary Jane, the second Mary Jane, died of typhus. So Mary Ann. She sent her final living... What did her husband have? Uh, gastrointestinal disorders. Oh, yeah, of course mm. she said that. So Mary Ann, she decided she'd send a final child, Isabella, to live with her mother, uh, a woman who didn't boast an 87.5% mortality rate for children in her care, which is probably a wise choice. Um, is there something else going on here? Is there something else going on here? That's what we're going to find out. I'm, I'm feeling quite sympathetic towards her, but I, f- I feel like your energy... Doesn't doesn't match, match that. that. You're just like, <laughs> and another child died. <laughs> so, Mary Ann now, she's only got one living child left. Is she killing them? She sent, well, she sent her one remaining child, who she does have an insurance policy on, to live with her mother. She's poisoning them. Is it hydrangeas from Cornwall? Mary Ann wasn't lonely for very long. Pennies. Though. Mercury. No. Oh. Um, lead. Lead poisoning. Mary had taken some part-time work in a colliery hospital in Sunderland and had met a nice but sickly man called George Ward. Hold uh, up, Joe. Stop the story. Yeah? Am I, am, am I, is my head leaning in the right way? Is she killing off these people? We've got no definitive evidence to state that she's killing people off yet, but it's starting to look suspicious. So she, she trained as a dressmaker? No, you're going the wrong way with that. Let's just see what happens to George, her new lover, and we'll see where we get to. Because they're all the same symptoms, apart yeah. from the t- t- typhus. Typhus. There's there's one outlier there, but everyone else... So un- that, 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 that one dying of typhus would be the normal mortality rate of children at that time, if just that one child had died. Yeah, that, rest- would, that would be bringing it back down towards the more normal levels of childhood mortality, yeah. And then the rest, including an adult, are dying of gastro intestinal but no she's she's now met a nice nice man called george ward on the hospital ward where he's being treated because he he's i think sick. she gives the whole history like on the first date she just describes what her life is she's like no i love to laugh i, th- no, I think <laughs> i think when he asks well, you know can i ask you on a date i think she'd just say i'm single i don't think she'd say well my husband recently died and so have six of our yeah. seven children um all of the same thing pretty much <laughs> Except for poor Marianne, uh, Margaret Jane, she she died. She died of a real disease. No, no, no. She she just died. Um, but almost six months exactly after the death of her first husband and her collection of the insurance policy, she married George Ward. Mm. So just as that insurance money was going to run out, she luckily found herself a husband who, being a colliery worker, had a cottage. George lasted just over a year before dying of English cholera in October 1866 at the age of 33. But luckily, he'd been insured. So Mary Ann, twice widowed at the tender age of 34, had a nice pot of money to start over again. Has she got one child Again, left? yeah. Who's living with her mum? Who now, I bet looks like her a little bit. <laughs> well, you'd imagine so. No, but I mean, more than the other children. It's like she has some weird narcissistic... Oh, you think Isabella is too Marianne for yeah. Marianne to, to kill? The one line she won't cross is suicide. <laughs> well, Marianne, to this point, she's 34. She'd married two minors. And she How decided, old were they? Uh, he was 33 when he died. And I think 
the other one was a bit older than her, so probably mid-30s when he died. But she decided it was time to trade up. She was sick of living in miners' houses. Um, And she, yeah, she was looking for husband number three in a higher class of man. And within a month of George... Shopkeeper. Well, within a month of George dying, Merchant. Mary Ann had taken a job as a housekeeper for a shipwright, someone who builds ships, called James Robinson. James's wife had recently died, and Anne obviously sensed an opportunity. When James's youngest son suddenly died of gastric fever, Mary Ann offered him comfort and became pregnant. Have this bitter soup. <laughs> I'm famous for my... <laughs> my acrid soups. Yeah. Well, she was obviously, you know, she's pregnant, so she's now going to expect James to do the the right thing in Victorian society, make an honest woman of her. Right. Uh, but her plans were put on hold when her mum became ill with hepatitis and Mary Ann felt duty-bound to return to her family home to look after her mother. She died of a gastro... Well, it proved to be only a minor setback as her mum died only nine days after Mary Ann turned up. She was only 54 years old at she the time. She was born on Halloween. This is grim. Mm. What well, did she die of, sorry? Uh... She just died after nine days. It wasn't, it wasn't, she had hepatitis, but she, she died nine days after her daughter turned up to nurse her back to health, which is at least suspicious. The soup's itching my throat. It's also um, telling that Marianne um, took all of her mum's furniture she's from the a, house. She's back. Like her dressing table um, and all of the stuff that had been her mum's. She, she, it was easier she took back all then, of that stuff when it all furniture was made of wicker. <laughs> it was it was hers now. <laughs> yeah. Don't, you know her step her stepdad was still living in that house, but she took all of her mum's furniture. Yeah, all of the the ladies' furnishings were removed from that house. Um, and if you were wondering how Mary Ann's stepfather George Stock coped with the loss of his wife of twenty four years, he didn't so need suddenly, to because he uh, died of no 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 he he lived and he immediately married the widow who lived next door. Hannah Paley, because apparently at the time, the primary factor for deciding who to marry was who was physically closest to you at the time. Yeah, Paley's in comparison. <laughs> My first wife, Paley's in comparison <laughs> to you, Hannah. Oh, I've been lusting after you since your husband popped his clogs. This woman's making my skin crawl. All right, well... Uh, in order to ensure that she wouldn't be called away to look after any more... Would this be classed as a succubus? Well, Succubus is a demon, and we also have no proof. At the moment, Mary Ann's just incredibly unlucky. But at the moment, but I feel like you're going to reveal that. You, you jump into the end. I'm telling you what's happening at the moment, because oh, the I'm important thing to remember this. is... I, just, I, just wanna, I need to know the end to know how to feel. <laughs> In order to ensure that she wouldn't be called away to look after any more sickly family members, Mary Ann returned to the Robinson household with her own daughter, Isabella, who was nine years old by this stage, so she'd survived till nine. Unfortunately, though, the reunion was short-lived, as Isabella, along with another two of James's children from his first marriage, died in the spring of 1867 of gastric disorders, meaning that Mary Ann had been living in James Robinson's house for less than five months, and there had already been four children who died, all of gastrointestinal distress of one sort or another. And the father's still alive? Uh, James, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mary Mary Ann's pain in losing her last surviving child was eased somewhat by the life insurance money of £5.10 shillings which she was able to collect on Isabella's life. In spite of the rash of deaths, James married Mary Ann in the August of the same year, possibly in order to ensure that their child would not be illegitimate because Victorian propriety trumps self-preservation every time. In the end, this didn't matter much as the child died shortly after birth. Mary Ann was soon pregnant again, though. Uh, but for the first time in her she life... She had about ten children at this point. Yeah. For the first time in her life, though, she'd managed to make someone suspicious of her actions. James, because he wasn't just a miner, he, he was a shipwright, he had a bit of nouse, he decided he needed to keep a very close eye on his wife and was even more convinced she was up to no good when she kept trying to coerce him into taking out some life insurance. Very sensibly, he refused, and his watchfulness eventually paid off when he discovered she'd been pocketing money he'd been asking her to place in the bank and had been running up large debts around the town, probably telling people, don't worry, I'm going to be coming into some money soon. Oh my God. 
James. I know you just made that up. Yeah. What a a mean thing to say. Yeah. James, (laughs) he he wasn't going to stand for that shit. And he took custody of their new child, a boy called George, and kicked Marianne out onto the streets, destitute. But he didn't divorce her because, again, weird Victorian values. He didn't want to have a failed marriage. It's okay if your wife dies, but you can't divorce her. Uh, Mary Ann, she was a hair's breadth away from the workhouse. She could hear it calling to her. Um, when she was taken in at the last minute by a friend called Margaret Cotton. Margaret was living with her brother, Frederick, because she needed to help him raise his two kids because his wife had sadly died. It was a situation ready-made for Mary Ann. If only Margaret wasn't already there filling the role of nursemaid to the kids. In March 1870, Margaret Cotton died of a stomach disorder oh and Mary Ann was able to convince Frederick to marry her. How? She was a beauty by northeastern standards. I know, but she's like 50 now. Mm. But she's also there and he needs comfort. He's just lost his wife and his sister and he's probably about to lose some of his children. So he needs someone there to provide comfort in those dark hours. She also managed to convince Frederick quite early on to take out life insurance on both himself and his kids. And because this is the Mary Ann Cotton playbook. Oh my God, so she... There can't be that many insurers. Oh no, there were loads of insurers. Oh, so she... This was a standard thing. Please make sure it's this one. No, no, no. She's she's returning back to the same places. Like, oh, just me again. Oh, hi, Mary. Yeah, but you'd return to... usual. You'd return to a different branch. It wasn't like there was just one prudential. She'd just go to a different branch and say, here's my life insurance policy, here's the death certificate, and then collect the money and go, my condolences. And she'd go, ha, ha, yes, condolences. Um, but yeah, she continued with the Mary Ann playbook and got pregnant with child number 12. So Frederick's fate was pretty much sealed. But before she got round to bumping off her latest bigamous husband, because, of course, she was still married to James, um, she decided to start an affair with a man called Joseph Natras. Because if you're going to be a bigamist, you may as well go big. Yeah, there he, is big he, in bigamist. Was he a big boy? Uh, he was He was a, a lover. This was a bit more um, risque. This wasn't a husband. This was out of wedlock. She, she didn't care at this stage. She knew that he was going to be the next husband. So she was just getting an early jump on it. Right. This meant that as soon as Frederick... So seeds. Yeah, as soon as Frederick died of a stomach ailment in December 1870, only three months after the marriage... Joseph Natras was able to move straight into the house and got Mary Ann pregnant with child number 13. My God, woman. Just over a year later... Why is no one asking any questions? Mm. What happened to Margaret Cotton? She died. (laughs) Just over a year later, one of the two remaining Cotton boys died of a gastric illness, as did the child Mary Ann had had with Frederick. She collected insurance money for both before convincing Joseph to change his will in her favour. This was shortly before his own death. Um, this is crazy. For those keeping score, that is 11 children of her own, four stepchildren, three husbands, a secret lover and her own mother and a friend who was a very bad judge of character who had died around Marianne or 21 people oh in two God. decades. What she? Do you know how she did it? I'll be so gutted if you don't tell me. At this point, Marianne Cotton moved to Australia. And there are no more records of her. No. No, no, that's not true. Um, It was the death of person 22 that would finally get someone, anyone, to start asking why Marianne was so death adjacent so often. Well, the first four were in in Cornwall, but the rest was all in the northeast of England, uh, around the Sunderland area. So, Marianne husbandless she had one child left one of the cotton children left so she was just her and one kid she was asked to help a patient with smallpox by a parish official called thomas riley she complained to thomas that a surviving cotton child was getting in the way and asked if he wouldn't mind putting the kid in the workhouse thomas said that that was fine but that mary would have to accompany him (laughs) to the workhouse yeah that's cool look (laughs) Yeah, and Mary then changed her tune and said it didn't matter. The young lad was quite sickly. He was probably not going to be around for long anyway. Uh, And he was dead within five days of her making that offhand comment. Uh, Thomas Riley... What, like cancer or something? (laughs) Thomas Riley, 
he got suspicious. The first person in Mary Ann's life, bar James, who survived, let's let's be clear, her surviving husband had but the sense did, to he, question. He, yeah, he had the sense. But he, not, it's self-preservation. But not was the what, sense yeah. to tell anybody that this is happening. Mm. No, no, that would have been a civic thing to have done. But Thomas Riley, he did not believe that Mary Ann was that good He'll at providing. He'll be down the pub going, oh, do you remember that wife I had who killed all the children? <laughs> and all mine. No, because he'll have only and known... And Mary will be like, oh, you dodged a bullet there. He'll have only known about the ones... That, I doubt she sort of told about the other ones. It was just... all As far as he knew, she turned up, a few of his kids died, her kid died, and then he kicked her out because he was suspicious of her. So everyone was just getting a snapshot. And you can explain away a couple of kids dying of a gastric illness because it's likely that it was contagious. That is a psychopath. Yeah. Um, but if you say in one family three kids died within two months no, you'd naturally play, say that's the psychopath yeah. playbook isn't it yeah. you, you exhaust a person and then you move on to yeah, the next yeah yeah and then you disappear well that's that's what she was doing oh, definitely uh, but Thomas he didn't believe she was that good at um, providing a prognosis uh, for a young child and he rushed to the local doctor to delay him writing a death certificate because obviously she needed that to get the insurance money and he was like, no, 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 I don't want you to decide how this person died because I have misgivings. Uh, Mary's first job, uh, first stop though, wasn't to go and view the body, it wasn't to the undertakers, it was to the insurance company to collect on yet another life insurance policy because of course... Have you got a, a, a tally for how many life insurance policies she's collected on? Well, we she don't know about the kids in Cornwall, but yeah. she collected on three... She collected on one, two, three... Three out of four husbands. She was... Um, the will was in favour of her from her lover, and she collected on at least seven children in terms of insurance policy, and she took goods from her mum's. She didn't collect on a, an insurance policy or a will from her mum, but she just took She's quite stuff. persuasive, isn't she? Mm, she really is. Um... So she, she, she'd gone straight to the insurance company. Uh, when she was told that they wouldn't pay out without a death certificate, Mary Ann admitted that she may have treated the boy with arrowroot to help uh, with his illness, but she couldn't talk her way out of an inquest being arranged to investigate the death. So they held an inquest. At the inquest, Mary Ann claimed that Thomas Riley was accusing her of killing the child because she had rejected his advances. So her entire argument was, Thomas tried to get fresh with me, and when I said, I'm not that kind of woman, I may be um, three times widowed and not quite divorced. And I may have had lovers, um, but I'm, I'm not easy. And the inquest found in her favour, recording the death as natural causes. I feel like she's got a whole apothecary <laughs> set up. <laughs> um, just yeah, just yeah. one rows room. and rows of bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, luckily, this time the press was a thing. So we'd had the advent of the printing press and newspapers were a thing. And the press had caught wind of the story um, and they found out about all the other suspicious deaths that had cursed Mary Ann throughout her life. Uh, eventually, because they printed all of this, public pressure became so great that Mary Ann was arrested. She was given a nickname as well, 100%. No, she wasn't. Um, really? Not, not here. Um she was just, yeah, just Mary Ann Cotton, the, the person who had been around a lot of death at this point. But the young boy, the young cotton boy, was exhumed and an autopsy was finally performed because during the inquest into his death, no one had thought an autopsy might be a good idea. Uh, they looked in his stomach and they found quite a quantity of arsenic. Uh, and someone poisoned by arsenic would display symptoms that would be very close to mimicking gastrointestinal distress before they died. So the two things would look would look very similar. Arsenic is something you can get from the corner shop. Well, Mary, Mary seemed to think it was everywhere because she tried to claim... Oh, no, wait. Before we get to that, the trial had to be delayed so that Mary Ann could give birth again to a daughter. They had to get all new jurors after the, all so, 12 had died. Yeah, she, she sat in prison... Uh, gave birth to a child, and they let her nurse the child for a couple of months. So the the trial finally began in March 1873. At the trial, Mary tried to claim that the boy had inhaled arsenic from the wallpaper. Uh, and when she realised how ridiculous that sounded, she Dream. changed... No, her... no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't mean wallpaper. Uh, she changed her tune, uh, and she said that it was obviously the pharmacist who'd made a mistake in providing her with arsenic powder instead of medicine for diarrhoea. 
because you you know what was arsenic powder used for i don't know i i believe that it was sort of like a rat poison uh, but pharmacists would provide all um chemicals basically it was like a one-stop shop so you would buy um poisons for household pests at the same place that you buy your medicines um there was that that um sweet poisoning i believe that was in birmingham as well where basically uh, a guy went to a pharmacist to buy um some stuff that you put in to bulk out your sugar in sweets and he'd given them arsenic and they put arsenic powder in so he'd been selling these sweets that he'd made on a stall and everyone who had them died there was a massive spate oh my god i'll find you the story of that um but yeah, she tried to basically claim the same thing that the pharmacist had provided the the wrong thing, and the pharmacist pointed out that on the shelf with the arsenic, it was the only powder. So if she'd asked for a powder from that shelf, there was there was only arsenic there. It wasn't a mistake that I'm he was going to make. I'm just thinking of these pharmacists, like, and also things here, were here's a bottle labeled. of cowpole and a bottle of sh- strawberry shitting <laughs> liquid. <laughs> here's here's your cowpole, your strychnine. Uh, here's your arsenic. The what was it? What was the other one? No, 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 we don't have any mercury. <laughs> We're not dangerous. Um, and lemon juice. <laughs> and one Coke. Um, no one bought it. The jury, I'm, I'm guessing they weren't made up of single men. It's just that when she went, it's from the wallpaper. No, 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 it's from... Uh... <laughs> no, that sounds stupid. I, do you know, I thought it, and then I said it out loud, and I heard, yeah, just, just strike it from the record, please. <laughs> We, d- we don't have a court stenographer. This is the 18- 1880s. We don't even have a word for that yet. <laughs> Str- stricken from the record, please. Uh, no, but there was a jury of 12 people, so she works one-on-one. She is- Her entire MO is, I isolate you. Hopefully you've got a dead wife or you're experiencing some kind of you know personal trauma, and then I provide the shoulder to cry on, and that's how I all get my hooks all in. All the jury's male at this well, point. Well, it was the fact that there were... 12 of them insulated her power because she couldn't she couldn't appeal in the same way that she did on a one-on-one basis and she was found guilty of murder on the 8th of march 1873 she was sentenced to death um and she at first she had a bit of a a wobble she cried she was quite um aggressive and angry when she was led to the cell but then she calmed herself and she decided she was a young mother youngish mother uh, she had a, a, a young baby there with her, that there was no way she wasn't going to be granted clemency. Because it was the death of one person that she was charged with. It was just the young cotton boy. And she was sticking to her story that this was a mistake that had been made by the pharmacist and that this was just a horrible, tragic accident and everything else was hearsay and slander. She was still nursing her last child in prison, calmly waiting for the letter of clemency to come from the Home Secretary. Um, and people in the community also petitioned the Home Secretary on her behalf. There were petitions sent saying that it would be barbarous and wrong to to have this woman hung, uh, considering the fact that she has a small child. It's that they haven't taken the child away from her. Mm. It's craziness. Um, her, her confidence was misplaced because the press had given her a nickname. Wait, does it rhyme with a name? No, it's normally it's, it does. It's the prototype they were hoping for, for the Mary Toysia, no. the baby poison. <laughs> she was just known as the Black Widow. Oh, that is good, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this might have been the first instance that the British press dubbed someone the Black Widow. So it's really, you know, she was it's new ground. And you have all these, you have all these readers that don't know what a Black Widow is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll have to explain what a Black Widow is. Um. It's a spider, yeah, mainly in the Americas. We were in the Americas at that point. I mean, I think we by this point we'd we'd lost we definitely lost the war of independence. And yeah, but uh... is your average sinker gonna be knowing that? Possibly, possibly yeah. not. I mean yeah. D- maybe they explained it in That was her dad, wasn't it? Yeah, dad was a sinker. Um She was a stinker. So, uh in Durham on March twenty fourth, eighteen seventy three, Mary Ann Cotton was led to the gallows. The executioner, William Colcroft, botched the hanging, meaning that Mary died of slow strangulation rather than a broken neck. William always claimed it was an honest mistake, but it was telling that he would always follow that statement with a slow theatrical wink. You've added that. 
I have added that, yes. <laughs> but I like the idea. No, 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 complete accident. I don't know what went wrong, I was just having an off day. Wink. Mm. Uh, Mary was survived by only two of her children. George, who remained safely in the custody of James Robinson, and the daughter she had given birth to while awaiting her trial, Margaret Edith. We will never know how many of the deaths were at the hands of Mary Ann, but it's likely to be far more than the one for which she was hung, because she was only ever charged uh, and sentenced for one death. Regardless, she's known today as Britain's first female serial killer, or, as I've said, alternatively, just as the Black Widow. And shortly after her death, the young children of the North East came up with a skipping rhyme. Oh, really? To commemorate Mary Ann Cotton. Would you like to hear it? Yeah. Mary Ann Cotton. She's... Do you want me to read it? I'll do it in like a jaunty like. Oh, you want you want to do it? It's, it's in the smaller, the smaller bits there. You got to get the skipping rhythm there. Mary, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't read it and knock a table. Mary Ann Cotton, she's dead and she's rotten, lying in bed with her eyes wide open. Sing, sing, oh, what should I sing? Mary Ann Cotton, she's tied up with string. Where, where, up in the air, selling black puddings a penny a pair. <laughs> they reined it in at the end. Yeah, that's. that's not, I, I don't know that she ever was a black pudding seller. I couldn't find any anything to it. I think that was more the the whimsy of children than it was a, a historical fact. But that is the story of serial poisoner and seducer Mary Ann Cotton, who in twenty years, as let's it, say as it is, I killed think, at least twenty two people. I think the listeners will have gotten to. It, I felt like I was quite late to realise that... Well, she was the one doing this. Yeah, yeah. But I started to like have a little bit of a fear sweat. <laughs> oh, no. This is horrible. This is all... She couldn't have, could she? Well, it's like... It's like... It's like I, was, I was like 10, chil- I was like ten children in before I'd realised that <laughs> she was doing this. But it, it's like you say, it was that idea that there was no sharing of information and all of these things were happening in silos. So she, for each husband, all they knew was the situation they were in. She was she was deliberately being obtuse about her life before then and there was no way of checking. So husband number two, she probably told um George in his hospital bed, Oh no, no, I've I've never been married. I'm a I'm a simple virginal nursemaid who's My never life found the began right person. When I met you. Yeah. And he had no way of George checking that. James <laughs> I'll call you I'll call you James. It's my pet name. <laughs> And what about the times you call me William? That's a super secret pet name for your downstairs gentleman. Oh, little William. Um, yeah, so, you know, he wouldn't have known about any of them. Husband three, James, he didn't know. This was just a woman who turned up when he was at a low point and offered and him made some it comfort. Lower. <laughs> offered him some comfort. So, yeah, that's that's how, how she got away with it. And I think by the end, she was just so sure that she was going to get away with it because if you've murdered 21 people using the same mo yeah the same thing every time and no one's ever batted an eyelid and even the one person who realized you might be up to no good was just like well you're out of my life and i need never worry myself about you again you just feel you know you're invincible and she was right up until the point any any like um artistic drawings is there any is there any like what you want to see a picture of Marianne Cotton yeah yeah there, there was some done during her trial I'll find find one for you she she doesn't look particularly happy I'll I'll give her that but she had just been sentenced to death for murder so would you Christ she's actually hideous that's the face that's the face of evil right there that's the, that she was clearly a sociopath look at that one she looks She's not, she's not a looker, but no. she's not ugly. Was that, was that a looker of that time and that well, geographical You've got to realise, that's, that's a woman who's been running uh, multiple grifts involving murder for 20 years at that oh point. Oh, God. So 20, 20 years before, and before, what, 13 children? God. But that's, that's, that's what she looked like, yeah. Um, her daughter who survived, actually, we found a little bit of information about her, she and her husband, possibly to avoid the stigma, emigrated to America um, with two young children. Uh, the husband was killed in a railway accident 
So she returned to the northeast, and her two sons went off to the Great War and both died. So her daughter didn't have a good shake of it. Um, she did have a surviving daughter herself um, who went on, and apparently there are relatives of Mary Ann Cotton all over the northeast, but understandably want to keep quiet about about you know that that part of the family tree, which is fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, her daughter's how are, how are um, any... 66 percent um, death rate of her daughter's kids predeceasing her, which was still a hell of a lot better than Mary Ann Cotton's. Well, yeah, I mean Mary Ann Cotton had a. You were saying like her daughter it wasn't any luckier. Mm. I mean, Mary Ann Cotton was she made her own luck, didn't she? Oh yeah, yeah. She had a great time. I was being facetious with that, I, but you know the. It, the ideal uh, amount of children who should predecease you, I think, as a parent, is zero. That's where you want to be. Uh, and Mary Ann Cotton was up there in, I think by the end it was the high 80s, if not the 90%, yeah. um, while her daughter managed to bring it down to well, 60, two of 12, isn't it? 66% of her children predeceased her. And then her daughter, hopefully it was, they finally managed to get it down to zero in the in the family. But there you go. A, a happy story to end that was, on. That was phenomenal. <laughs> um, it was just well written. Because I, I had so, so much sympathy for her. And I think there is there like is a 12. reason to have sympathy for her. Because on some level, that one horrific event in her childhood could have been very triggering for a lot of this. The idea that she had this constant fear of losing everything meant that she was prioritising money over people the rest of her life i almost get the feeling that all of those childhood the first four who died they might have been honest innocent we can never say whether they were murdered or innocent but just seeing all of her children dying she had had no financial gain from no the uh, first four did she no and it, it may have played into that fear that people just die anything i love dies so i may i may as well profit off that and rather than wait for my husband to die in an accident and be blindsided if I kill him, I can get the money. You know, that kind of, I want to be in control of this situation. It's a very maladaptive way of doing it. Yeah, and this you're right, is, she's quite nice. This is definite COD psychology, but I don't think she would have been a serial poisoner if not for her dad being delivered to the house in a sack when she was nine years old. Mm. I think that was a seminal moment in Mary Ann Cotton's life. Well, it's whole nature-nurture thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Was she born a psychopath? Or? Well, there are plenty of psychopaths in the world who don't go on to kill. I guess that's the thing. There are people who... Not, like, not directly. Yeah. They do it indirectly by... What, running corporations yeah, like put, Amazon? Putting or... a bottle implant in the middle of somebody. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't kill them. Well, you did take all the water. <laughs> well, if they if they didn't have the wherewithal to pull themselves up by the bootstraps... Yeah. start their own bottle implant with just a small three million pound loan from their dad that's on them not on me I guess what I'm saying is fuck Donald Trump oh. <laughs> <laughs> Mary Ann Cotton you're a bit sympathy. late to that <laughs> Donald Trump no sympathy Joe in 2021 has everyone heard of this Donald Trump and aren't the Arctic Monkeys a good band <laughs>